Welcome back to Epilogues, an unpacking of the weekly Haftarah you are listening to Rabbi Yaakov Trump. We're going to focus on the Haftarah of Parshas Pinchas, but not Pinchas every year, because this Haftarah is only read on Parshas Pinchas when it is not in the three weeks. If it is in the three weeks, we actually read Parshas, the Haftarah of Parshas Matos, the first of the three Deparanusa, the three Haftarahs of punishment, which is read on Parshas Pinchas. Let's take a look at this Haftarah, if it were to be on Parshas Pinchas, not in the three weeks. We hear it is from Melochem Aleph, Perik Chiyudches, Pasuk Memvav to the Perik Yudtes, Pasuk Chof Aleph. A very trying moment in the life of Eliyahu Hanavi. Just to put things into context and to appreciate our parasha and Haftarah. This, uh, this story begins immediately after the very famous previous episode. Most people are aware of the previous part of the story, which is the showdown at Har Carmel, in which Eliyahu Hanavi, after three years of drought, challenges the prophets of Baal, who um, are under the employ of Izevel, the wife of Ahav, to a public duel, in which he succeeds in the most incredible way. Fire comes down from heaven on Har Carmel, the north of Israel. People all declare Hashem, who I like him, God is mighty. And now we hear the follow-up. What happens after the, after this episode? The first thing we hear is, is that Eliyahu decides to run in front of Ahab to Israel, which is fascinating. Here we hear that he escorts or runs in front of the king back to the Israel. The Mephorshim try to struggle with why is this. Rashi says he's giving covered Lamalchus, he's giving honor to the king. And the Chida says it's actually a remez to the future Geula, where sometimes unlikely leaders may be the heralders of great Geula, of great redemption in Israel. And Eliyahu is going to be the herald. He's going to be the one who's coming just before these leaders, perhaps even leaders as complicated as Ahab himself. When you hear about the next day, that's when, it's, that's when Perik Yotespa picks up. We then hear that Izevel, um, um, Ahab tells his wife, Izevel, everything that happened, the showdown, how, how Eliyahu killed the prophets um, by the sword on Har Carmel. And Izevel then sends a message to Eliyahu. She sends a malach and she says, you should understand, Ki I'm going to take your life like one of their lives. In other words, you killed my prophets, I will kill you tomorrow. So, so Eliyahu, in his fear, immediately goes, gets up and he runs to the desert and he goes down to the south and he, and he, he settles underneath a rotem, under a juniper bush, and he asks to die. And he says, Take my soul. Before going further, just a few basic points on this is why is it that um, Izevel would hunt him down? Surely he has just proved in a demonstrable fashion that uh, God is all powerful. So the Bible now points out that really paganism doesn't operate that way. Paganism operates in a world of chaos where this force overcomes that force and another force overcomes the force that just was the successor. And um, ultimately, it's a world of dog eat dog. It's a world of different powers fighting and vying for each other with each other for the great power. So what Izevel is essentially saying to Yeremi, to, to Eliyahu is, you may have succeeded yesterday. It may have been true that yesterday your powers overcame my powers, but tomorrow my power will kill yours because in my system it's not monotheism. It doesn't all add up. You know, you had your day, but I'll have my day tomorrow as well, which is why she takes her time. She doesn't seem to be in a rush to go and issue the death threat to Eliyahu Anavi. She's quite happy of doing it at her own leisure as well. Um, so she's not moved by this experience again. Even the most incredible miracles don't seem to change the hardened pagan. 
Um, why did she? Why did she wait until the next day? So the chidai she says that it was really an angel. So she she was moving at her own pace, but it was a really an angel who ran out to Eliyahu ahead of time and gave him the warning in order that he could escape, and escape he did. Why does the Tanakh tell us that he, he, he settled underneath this rotem, this juniper bush? It is interesting to notice it's a type of a broom bush, um, which is found in Israel all over in the south, in the, in the Negev. Why is it that he, 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 we, we have to hear about this detail? So it actually has a very interesting um, um, ab- botanical um, application, and that is, is that the roots of the rotem, um, when burnt, actually are a slow-burning fuel, which means to say that they are very useful in the sense that you can use them as a coal, and you can even bury them for days, and they will still be found to be hot many days later. And that's why, when in Tehillim, as an example, when describing um, the the, uh, the words of those who are slanderous, or they are called gachalei resamim, the, um, the 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 literally the coals of the rotten bush, and this is an example of chitzei giborim shononim. This is the types of the the, the sharp mouthed or tongued giborim, which refers to those who speak loshan um, hara, those those who. Um, use their language in a terrible way, and that's why, metaphorically speaking, he is going to the juniper bush under which he feels that he is yeah, the the burning the burning embers of the falsehood that he's being accused of is going to carry on burning, and that's the meta metaphor for this as well. Why is he asked to die? Is he asking to be killed? So the the rabbi says no, he's not asking to die. Just and this is the end of a three-year drought. There's no food to be had, and he's on the streets, so there's nothing to eat. So he's going to die. And the Radak says, no, he's actually just tired. He says, Hashem, I've done what I need to, to, to do. I represented you. And now again, I'm being persecuted by expressing your will in this world. I'd rather die than live with this as well. That's what he's saying over here. So what happens? So um, he, is, he goes to sleep under the Rotem. And a Malach wakes him up and says, go and eat. And he gives him an Ugas Ritzafim Ritzapachas Maim. This is cake which is on the coals and a, a gourd of water. And that's what he does. He, he has this. And then the Malach, the Malach says, no, no, you need to eat more because you're going on a long journey. You're going to go for 40 days and 40 nights to Har Ha'elokim, the mountain of God, Chorev, which is Sinai. This is the only other time in Tanakh where there's a return to Har Sinai. So he goes there. He goes to, the, to, to Har Sinai. He enters into a cave. And Hashem says, Why are you here? He engages in a conversation with Eliyahu. Eliyahu says the line, I have done, I've done my zealotry in the name of Hashem, the God of the legions. The nation of Israel have left your covenant. So they destroyed your altars. They killed your prophets. This is all referring to what's been happening in the northern and larger kingdom of Israel. And, I, and now I am abandoned in my, in my quest um, and they are trying to kill me, which is why I'm here. So Hashem then turns to me and he says, look, go out and stand on the mountain. And a, 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 a ruach, a wind, a large wind came in front of him, one which could uproot mountains and destroy rocks. Hashem then says, Hashem. There's an, I'm, not, I'm not found in the wind. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought about a huge a, um, um, a, a rash, this, this earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a, there was a fire. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm not in the rash. I'm not in the fire. I'm not in the earthquake. I'm not in the fire. And then there was a call to Mamadaka, a very small and still sound. And he, when Eliyahu heard this, he gets terrified. He covers himself with his cloak and he stays, he runs back to the entrance of the cave and the voice of Hashem passes. And he says, what are you doing here, Eliyahu? 
And Eliyahu responds with exactly the same words. He goes on to describe the, the zealotry that he had done for the nation of Israel who were not living up to his word. At which point in time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu then turns to him and says to him, You know what, Eliyahu? You're going to go back to the desert and you're going to go and anoint three people. You're going to first anoint Machazael as the new king of Aram. Number one. Then you're going to anoint Yehu ben Nimshi as the king of, of Israel in the place of Ahav and his dynasty. And number three, you're going to anoint Elisha as the prophet in your place as well. So these are three new anointings. It's almost like his job is being, is being um, taken. All the jobs are being taken. The king of Aram, the king of Israel, and the prophet of Israel are all being replaced. And finally, we hear the end of the Haftarah that he goes to Elisha, and he goes and he finds this Elisha ben Shaphat. He was busy plowing with a whole team of oxen, and Eliyahu comes and puts his cloak upon him, his aderis, on, um, on, on Elisha, and, and Elisha comes with him and wants to leave. And before he leaves, he wants to tell his parents that he's leaving, um, and, uh, and uh, um, Eliyahu takes him along, and he leaves behind his uh, his his life and his family and his and his money. It's worthwhile noting, without not the topic of right now because of time, that Elisha was an extremely rich person and he left all of this behind because of the ideas, because of the personality of Eliyahu Navi. And um, this is a huge sacrifice he makes in terms of his personal life because of the world of the realm of ideals that he follows afterwards he becomes a formidable and, and uh, incredible leader of Israel um, in um, uh, as being a Talmud and ultimately the prophet following Eliyahu. A few basics just to ponder in understanding the Saftara because there's, there's so much that is going on, but there's a few parallels which you should be aware of. First of all, the, the uh, basic parallel, which is why this is the Haftarah Pashas Pinchas, is there's a lot of parallels between Eliyahu and Pinchas. So the language of zealotry, when Moshe Rabbeinu tells Pinchas, um, we, um, the actual language is the same. When, I, when Pinchas, by killing Zimri and Cosby, did my avenged my zealotry. That's the same words of Eliyahu who says, Kanoi Kinesi. Number two is longevity. We know that Radak says that, um, that, that, that when it comes down to um, that, that really um, that Pinchas and Eliyahu are the same person. Pinchas lived for many years. Eliyahu also, Eliyahu never really died. He went up to heaven in a, in a, in a fiery chariot as well. And finally, another idea is that um, invisibility. We know that uh, that that, um, that there is an element we'll perhaps discuss in a moment of um, that Pinchas was able to be invisible and also Eliyahu being able to be invisible to escape the clutches of his devil as well. So interesting parallels between Eliyahu and Pinchas. We have to think to ourselves what they mean. Before getting there, there's another set of parallels which are also important, and that is this whole episode in Ar Haftorah in Perik Yotes in, in Melachim Aleph is very much parallel to Moshe Rabbeinu being on um, the mountain of Hashem, especially when we read Parshas Kisisa after the Chet Egel. So for instance, we hear about the 40 days and 40 nights without food, both Eliyahu and Moshe Rabbeinu experienced that. We hear about the revelation in the cave where Moshe Rabbeinu asks to see the presence of Hashem and he is hidden in the Nikra Satsur here, Eliyahu is in the Ma'ara, it's the same idea. We also hear about Hashem passing by and their faces being covered, both by Eliyahu and by Moshe Rabbeinu. Eliyahu takes the veil and HaKosh Baruch Hu cloaks Moshe Rabbeinu. Almost parallel languages over here as well. So the question is why? What, what, what is going on over here? How do we put this all together? So there's a very fascinating thesis which is, uh, which is expressed in the Al-Shech HaKosh. And the Al-Shech HaKosh makes the following um, observations. 
which um, which are very powerful. He says number one is really the, the Eliyahu is the person personality of Pinchas. He's a continuation of Pinchas. Pinchas had the merit of very long life, which then ultimately is like, that, that is why he is Eliyahu. We don't hear about where Eliyahu was born. We don't hear about too much about him. He just appears on the scene. That's because he really is Pinchas as well. Um, Pinchas attained Kahuna and um, his priesthood through his zealotry for the truth. Um, Pinchas was also able to become invisible, which we see in the beginning of um, Sefer Yosho when he was a spy um, to the city of Yericho. We hear that he is not, it's not necessary to hide both spies, and Chazal tells us that's because Pinchas was one of those spies and he was able to become invisible. What that means, says the Al Sheikh, is that, the, that is, is that his essence was more spiritual than it was physical, which is why he was not susceptible to death, nor at certain times vision either. His personality was inwards so much so that he could supersede the norms and the trappings of this world as well. That's why Ezel could not tra- um, capture Eliyahu on the first day because Eliyahu had in a certain sense disappeared. He was not able to be seen or, um, or, or accessed. This also explains um, why he returned to, the, to Sinai, to the Nikras Atsur, to Moshe Rabbeinu, which was the closest human being could ever come to God. Eliyahu's comfort zone was in the closest places to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. His physical existence was seen as a baggage, was seen as something which was too heavy and difficult to live with. That's why he needs food as a reminder. The Malach needs to remind him to eat food because eating food is simply something about the external trappings of his body, but it's not really who he is as well. It's an action which human beings need, which Eliyahu is very much far away from. This also explains why, um, w- uh, um, why Hashem explains to Eliyahu that he, Hash, um, he is not found in overt expressions of power in this world. He is found in subtlety and silence. What essentially Hashem was doing was he was reprimanding for Eliyahu for believing that humanity needed drastic actions of correction. However, Eliyahu repeats the same phrase he does before and after the conversation and display of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, indicating that ultimately Eliyahu is not compatible with this world. Eliyahu is essentially saying that I am not able to live in a world where people are so wayward, where people are so immoral, where people are so corrupt and intellectually dishonest with themselves. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kanoi Kinesi, I did what you wanted, I know what the truth is, and they are not living with truth. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in a certain sense is saying, you're right, the complex and broken world of humanity is so difficult that perhaps a person like you who lives so close to the truth, who lives so far away from the complexities of the, and the immorality of your day-to-day life, then yes, and perhaps you're not the right prophet, which is why he needs to appoint an Elisha in his place. Because you can't deal with such a people because they are so difficult and so immoral and so incorrect. And that's ultimately what is happening over here. And that is perhaps why it is, as, as the, the, the Medrash describes, that um, Eliyahu has to visit every bris. Why is that? Because HaKadosh Baruch in a certain sense was saying to Eliyahu, you may be right that the people of Israel have many, many, many problems. However, note that in the future, they will, they, they, uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel will, will perform the bris miller throughout all the most difficult times, whether it be in the cemeteries in Russia and the, the, United, so, uh, the USSR um, with, uh, with, uh, to avoid the KGB fighting them, whether it be in Nazi Germany in the death camps, people would still perform bris miller. And you, Eliyahu, are going to attend every bris, bris miller as a testimony to the fact that despite all the stiff-neckedness of this nation, they ultimately are my nation and have committed themselves to such. This is a perspective and understanding the aftermath of Har Carmel and saying the complexity of Eliyahu as a prophet. Have a wonderful, meaningful day and a meaningful show.